And isn't God's goodness wonderful? Amen. Amen. Now, there's a verse um, that is a great verse. Um, and Paul the Apostle says this, when we lose someone uh, to death, he said, we don't sorrow as those who don't have any hope. Right? But we know we have hope in him. And so he said, and then he went on to talk about the rapture of the church, how it's coming, and so on and so forth. And now I'm not going to talk about people passing away today per se, although many people have lost loved ones. I'm just going to talk to you about having hope in your loss, having hope in your loss. How many of you can say, you know, in the last year and a half of all this COVID stuff, I've, I've seen the loss of some things. And, he, and you've been close to somebody that have lost different things and maybe some people, loved ones. And so I want to show you today that we don't sorrow as those who don't have any hope. We've got the only hope that any world religious leader has ever offered. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ offered for sure the hope of eternal life. And we don't go through anything alone. Amen. Now, I'll let you know also, we have mics that have dropped off the ceiling, not, not fallen out of the ground. I mean, they're hanging from the ceiling, and you're recorded. You should have seen the look on some of your faces. Do you mean video? No, I mean audio, because you guys are going around the world with me. We're touching a, a, a lot of America. And, and so um, just know that it's recorded, and all I'm saying is you're recorded. I just want you to know that we're doing this together. And uh, so I appreciate all of your love and affection. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you right now for your blessing on the house of God. And thank you. There's hope in our loss. And I pray, open this word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before you're seated, let me quickly read 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. Then you can be seated for the rest of the service unless I preach you to your feet. That may happen. Uh, not, the, not me, but the Word of God may get you on your feet. Now, notice this. It happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and they had burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great, little children, all the way to wives and older folks. They didn't kill anybody. But they carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was. It was burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, their daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him, now these are mighty men of valor. I want you to look at this. So you can't tell me grown men don't cry. Look at this. It says, David and all the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Have you ever cried that hard? Where you had no more power to cry? Where you cried till there were no more tears left? That's what you got here with these mighty men of valor. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed. For the people, talking about his men, spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. Now I want you to read this last part with me. Are you ready? But David, 
I'm hearing about five of you, everybody. Look up there, read it. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing in Jesus' name on the word. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's not hopeless. Tell them it is not hopeless because it's not hopeless. Now, let me give you a little bit of background here. David has been running from King Saul. He has been fleeing from a crazy king. Saul started out good, and he ended up bad. He started out sane. He ended up insane. And he's been stalking David for 10 years. I want you to think about being stalked for 10 years by a very capable man of war. And David was very used to sleeping under the stars and sleeping in caves. And he had gathered around himself a very motley crew of men who who were the malcontents and the discontents of Israel. And he turned them into a uh, mighty men of valor. His mighty men came from this motley crew. David took these men and he discipled them. And And he fashioned them and shaped them. He's a picture of Christ. He fashioned them and shaped them into something they'd have never been if they had not hooked up with David. Jesus is going to make you into something you'd have never been if you hadn't hooked up with Jesus. I'm telling you. Amen? He'll make you a mighty man of God, a mighty woman of God. So David's mighty men, mighty warriors came from this motley crew, and they traveled with him, and there was about 400 of them. Now, The time came that we see David's faith sort of temporarily collapsing. He's so tired of being stalked by Saul. He's so weary of always being afraid for his life and wondering, is tonight the night I'm going to wake up and he's going to be standing over me? I'm tired of this. I'm, I'm weary of running, hiding, trying to escape all the time, living the life of a vagabond. Samuel laid his hands on me and told me I was going to be the next king of Israel. Well, it doesn't look like that right now. Instead, I'm being stalked by the king of Israel. And so in a moment of weakness, David decided to join up with the Philistines, the arch enemies of Israel, whose champion in his younger years he had killed, Goliath. So he went to the city of Ziklag. Now, the Bible says when he went to Ziklag, he did not go under the guidance of God. But he went being driven by fear and weariness. He was fear-driven and weariness-driven. You know, you make big mistakes when you move in fear and you move in weariness. Never make a major decision when you're really tired. But he made this decision and he went to Ziklag and took his men to Ziklag. And in Ziklag, he starts leading a double life. He tells the king of the Philistines that he's for him, with him, standing with him, fighting for him, believes in him. But in the meantime, he's going out with his men uh, sort of on the sly and they're killing um, and taking pagan cities. But the king of the Philistines never knows it. We find no Psalms written during his time in Ziklag. There's no voice of praise coming from David in Ziklag. There's no note of triumph. 
You can't go to any of his writings and find that they were written in Ziklag because he was out of the will of God in Ziklag. He was not trusting God to protect him. He was trusting his arch foe to protect him. He's leaning on the arm of flesh for protection and not on the arm of God. Big mistake. Never lean on the arm of flesh to protect you when God can protect you. Because the help of man, David wrote later, and he knew well, the help of man is vain. But he that trusts in the Lord will be taken care of and led and guided and protected. So it's very, very important that we understand that in Ziklag here, he made a mistake and he lived there for quite some time in this double life, this double life, making the king think he's one thing and letting pagan tribes and cities encounter the warrior David. It came time that the Philistines were going to go to war against Israel. And David literally volunteered himself and his men to go with the Philistines to war against his own people. This was low for him. I'm so glad the Bible tells us the truth about the people in it, even the heroes. Because he's telling the king of the Philistines, let us go with you. We will not fail you. And he fully intended to go to war against Israel. It was a huge, humongous mistake that God protected him from. Because as they're going off to war, the king of the Philistines had all the confidence in the world in him. But the king of the Philistines' warriors, his chiefs, his generals said, we better not take him because we'll be in the middle of the battle and he will turn coat on us and fight for Israel and defeat us. We don't want David on the other side. We're afraid he will turn. And so the generals of the Philistines talked the king of the Philistines out of it and they sent David back. David is downcast. Um, He's really, really lost sight of who he was, what he was about, who he was to be with, his, his loyalties. He's really, really gotten mixed up. And so he's headed back to Ziklag with his head tucked and his men are depressed because they wanted literally to go to battle with the Philistines. And as they draw near to Ziklag, they see a curl of smoke going up into the air, and their hearts begin to pound. And the closer they get, the more they realize Ziklag has been attacked. Ziklag is on fire. The place that I have lived these years is on fire. What about my kids? What about my wives? What about my guys' wives? Well, what has happened to everybody that was there? The closer they get, the more they realize there's not a human to be found. At first they wonder, were they all killed? Are they all slaughtered? Are we going to find our families slaughtered in Ziklag? And so they draw near and they realize nobody's there. There's no bodies there. Nobody's been killed, but they're all gone. And they connect the dots and they realize it was the Amalekites. The Amalekites were a pagan people that worshipped false gods, and they were vicious, they were cruel. They were, they were not anything you wanted to kidnap your family. So David, right here, is experiencing overwhelming loss. Overwhelming loss. 
He's been reduced now, please understand, church, to a man completely alone in life. He's alone in life. He's lost his home, his wives, and he's lost the trust of his men. He hears them whispering. We're so tired of following this guy. Look what following this guy has gotten us. Let's take him out. He's hearing his own men talk assassination talk. In one fell swoop, his world has collapsed under him. Just bang, in a day, his world, the the bottom has dropped out. Greeting his eyes is the smoke of a burning city. Greeting his ears is the sound of his men talking of, of assassinating him. Greeting his mind is the terrible knowledge that his wives and children are in the hands of Old Testament terrorists. To the natural eye, his future looks finished. He looks like toast. No friends, no country. His own king is stalking him for 10 trying years, trying to kill him. And now all that he had left is up in smoke. Ever feel that way? Overwhelming loss. He's the Lord's anointed. He's the one Samuel poured the oil over his head and it dripped all the way down him. You're going to be the next king of Israel. I've chosen you above all your brothers. You're the man, David. And now he's wondering, where's God? Where's that calling? Where's all those promises? How come God didn't stop this? You got to remember. He opened himself up for this attack because he went into a place that God didn't call him to. And he trusted in the arm of flesh and not in the arm of God. Anytime you go where God doesn't want you to go and you, and you hook up with who he doesn't want you hooked up with, I want to guarantee you, I can prophesy you trouble. You better be careful who you run with and be careful where you go. Hey, hallelujah, we're in a place where God is worshiped today. I'd rather be here than anywhere else. Amen? But, but Ziklag here and the loss he's experienced is sort of like the prodigal son who went where God, where the father didn't want him to go. He went to the far country. And in the far country, he too lost everything. When we get out of the will of God and hook up with the wrong people, it's going to be significant loss every time. Because sin subtracts, but, but, but blessing multiplies. Now, let me just bring this home to us today. We're living in a time when multiplied thousands of people have, like David, uh, uh, suffered really difficult losses. Some of you have. And, and you've lost loved ones. You've lost jobs. You've lost security. You've lost a lot of things. Listen, COVID has taken many, many loved ones. I've presided over more, more funerals this year than I ever had in my in- entire life in any given year, for sure. And I'm going to be real honest with you today. The ripple effect of COVID has been the loss of jobs, loss of security, the loss of homes, and the loss of what many people thought their future would look like. And we're, and we're standing in, 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 in the ashes of big loss. And some of you at home right now, we welcome you, by the way, to the service today from your home or wherever you happen to be, but you've suffered loss. And those listening later by radio across the country, you've suffered loss. 
And you're having to grapple with it and deal with it and navigate through it and figure out, how do I respond to this? Like Ziklag was for David, many of our dreams are up in smoke. Where do I go now? What am I going to do now? Where am I going to turn now? What's plan B? Loss can be really scary. We wonder how we're going to go on after some losses. I've had people look at me this year. How am I going to go on without them, without him, without her? How am I going to go on? How are we going to do life without that person or without that job security? Or how are we going to do life without that very familiar context we're so accustomed to? Because everything has been shaken. The whole nation has been shaken, and it ain't over yet. In the face of great loss, it can be so jarring, some people wonder if it's even worth it to go on. Yeah. Now, if anybody was tempted to feel that way, it was David at this juncture, because folks, what we just read about is the lowest point in David's whole life. This is the bottom of the bottom. This is it. You don't see him go any lower until his own son tries to overthrow his kingdom. But up to now, this is the low point. Maybe today you've lost someone or something and it's left you feeling crippled and shattered and hopeless. And and that's why I want us to look at how David responded. Because the way David responded to overwhelming loss is the key for you and me. Thank God for the Bible. I love the Bible. I love the Word of God because it tells the truth about the heroes in it and it tells us how they responded for good or bad. And it always, I don't care what you're going through, the Bible has the answer for anything and everything you're going through. I promise you. And you can trust it. You can lean on it. You can walk on it. You can base your life on it. It's the Word of God. So how did he respond? Let me me show you how he responded. Number one. David chose a life-saving focus. I want you to say with me, life-saving focus. Oh, I'm telling you, life-saving is what his focus became. It says David encouraged himself or strengthened himself in the Lord his God, because that's what the word encourage means in the, uh, the original Hebrew words. It means strengthen. When everything around him had collapsed into overwhelming loss, David found a supernatural source of strength in God. He found a supernatural source of strength, something beyond this world. He found a supernatural from another world, from another place, source of strength. And his strength was God. Now, I want to know when I read, well, David encouraged himself in the Lord is God. First thing I want to know is, well, how did he do that? I mean, it's great to know he encouraged himself in the Lord his God, but if I don't know how he did it, then I can't do it too. So I want to know how he did it. How did he encourage himself? How did he access God's strength? Well, the first thing he did, it's so simple. Oh, but listen, he looked up. That's the first thing he did. He looked up. Listen, here he is. He's huddled. He's huddled with the burning city in front of him, Men talking about assassinating him around him. And so here he is, all alone, totally alone. There is nobody there to encourage David. Nobody. 
Ever been there where there's no one? No one there to help you? No one there to encourage you? He's got nobody. But David knew how to access God. First thing he did was he looked up. David encouraged himself and the Lord is God. He didn't look around him. He didn't look within him. He looked up. He looked up. He chose a life-saving focus. Listen, when you and I are faced with great loss, it can genuinely be a fork in the road. Some losses that we experience are forks in the road. They are going to decide which way our life goes for the rest of our life. How we respond to those forks in the road. How we respond to that great loss. Same sun that melts butter hardens clay. Some people, in the heat of trial, in the heat of great loss, they harden themselves against God and walk away. But other people melt before God. They're that butter. They melt before God. They look up and they say, you are my hope. You are my strength. You are my healing. You are my wisdom. You are my strength. You are my healer. You are my all. You are my provider. If you choose to focus, focus on the loss and only the loss, dwelling on it, pondering it, living in it, listen, you're never going to get past it. If it becomes the focus of your life, interminably, ad infinitum, forever, for good, it becomes the, the hinge upon which your life revolves, that loss, if that's your focus, you're never going to get past it. You lost that marriage, you lost that person, you lost that job, you lost that Whatever it was that you were so attached to, you lost it, and now you're at a fork in the road. How am I going to respond? Am I going down or am I going through? Am I staying in the valley? Am I going to build a house in the valley? And am I going to live in the valley of the shadow of loss the rest of my life? Or am I going to move on? It, it, it's all going to, going to hinge on your focus and my focus. One great example in Scripture is Lot's wife. The angels of God came, two of them, to deliver Lot and his wife, God being true to the covenant he made with his uncle Abraham to deliver his descendants. And the angels of God came to deliver Lot and his wife and daughters from Sodom. And they did not want to leave. They didn't want to lose it. And the Bible says they clung to um, Sodom, the angels literally had to grab them by the arm and escort them out. Can you imagine being escorted out of a city by an angel? I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm right there with them. If an angel comes to get me out of somewhere, I'm jumping on his back. Come on, let's go. But they had to grab them by the arm and, and escort them out forcefully. And we all know the story. They were told, Flee for your life, do not look back. Flee for your life, do not look back. What is do not look back? It, it is a command of where your focus should not be and where your focus should be. He wanted their focus forward, not backward. He wanted their focus where God was taking them, not where they had been. He wanted their focus going this way. Listen, I believe faith's favorite word is forward. It's not backward, it's forward. 
And, and, and so God commanded them, when you're getting taken out of Sodom, don't you look back. And we all know what happened. When they were making their way outside the city, they had gotten outside, they were, they were doing well. Lot's wife turned around and looked back and looked back and broke God's word and looked back. She focused on where they had been, not where they were going. She looked back, and there's a picture for us here because it says she became a pillar of salt. Immediately, she was frozen in time. Now, to me, there's a picture here. Her focus paralyzed her. Her focus was debilitating to her. Her focus stopped her in life. Her focus affected her future. Yeah, I mean, that, to me, that's the, I don't care if it's salt. I don't care what she became. What I care about is she was frozen in time. Uh, it was like right then and there, her life ended because of her focus. Her focus, folks, our focus matters. She couldn't handle the loss. She didn't want to let go. She couldn't handle the loss. And so she was looking at Sodom, not up at God. She didn't look up. David looked up, but Lot's wife looked around. And she became frozen in life petrified in life, frozen in life, paralyzed by her wrong focus, defeated by the focus she chose. David could have focused on the burning city of Ziklag. He could have easily made that his focus. He could have started walking through the burning embers. He could have, he could have just landed right there, but he chose a life-saving focus. He looked up. Everybody say he looked up. Oh, listen, when you are experiencing great loss, you have to look up. You've got to look up. You can't look around. You can't look within. You've got to look up. You've got to fix your focus on God. We can't always choose what happens to us in life, including some of the losses that we experience. But we can choose our focus. We can't choose whether or not there's a loss sometimes, but we can choose our focus every time. We're in charge of our focus. Nobody else can make us focus in any direction. We are in charge of our focus. So instead of focusing on the things and the circumstances you cannot change, turn your focus onto the God of the impossible. Yes, everybody. Say with me, focus matters. Our focus decides whether we're gonna succeed or fail. Go forward or go down. Take our next step or die in our pain. There's a cemetery out there. And it doesn't have human beings in it. Let me tell you about this cemetery. It is a cemetery of lost dreams, lost vision, lost focus, and people who got bogged down and lost their future because in the midst of loss, they didn't look up. They, they, they stopped like Lot's wife and were frozen in life because of their loss. And if you look on the tombstone, here's what it'll say. They died before they were dead. Listen, I've had losses. I've had great losses. But isn't it beautiful to look up and look into the wonderful face of Jesus Christ when you're in the middle of a great loss and, and turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth, all of your losses will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Paul suffered loss all the time, but he said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. It says that Jesus... 
It says in Hebrews 11.1, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Watch this now. Watch this. What the captain of our salvation did. He said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God and never lives to make intercession for us. Now watch this now. What did Jesus do? Did he focus on the cross? No. He endured the cross. How? For the joy set before him. His focus on what was coming, not what was. His focus was on what was coming. His exaltation, his resurrection, his Lord of lords and King of kings status that would be his after he rose from the dead. So he focused on the things to come, not on what was. Can you say it with me again? Focus matters. Listen to these verses. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing your eyes. That's a term of purpose and intent. I intentionally fix my eyes on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4.18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. I'm not looking at what I've lost. I'm looking at what I'm going to gain. Then Colossians 3.2, set your mind on the things above. That's a focus verse. Not on things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, fixed, focused on you. Because he trusts in you. You want perfect peace? Fix your focus. Fix your focus. Fix your focus. Look up. Don't look around. Don't look within. You look around, you freak out. You look within, you faint. You look up, you fly. I love this one. I have set the Lord continually before me. That's Psalm 16, 8. Have you ever thought about that verse? He's, David is saying, the way I walk through life is I put the Lord constantly in front of me. I'm always focused on the Lord. I have put the Lord continually before me. Oh, I love that. You know, we get up in the morning and we either say, ah, good Lord is morning or good morning, Lord. And you get up and say, good Lord, it's morning, like, oh my gosh, another day. Well, listen, put the Lord before you. Put the Lord continually before you. Put the Lord continually before you. Think about him. Talk about him. Pray to him. Read his word. Put the Lord continually before you. Hundreds of passages like these about focus. Now, the last thing he did, and I'm going to close. He chose a life-changing direction. It says, then he, David, said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, ask God, should I chase after this band of raiders, these terrorists? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. Do you see how everything switched when he went to God? Not only did he look up, but he said, Lord, talk to me in my pain. Talk to me in my pain. I'm inquiring of you. Give me your angle on this. Give me the way you see this. Give me a word of direction, Lord. I don't want to go through this alone. I'm not going to make my own decisions. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. We are called, when we experience great loss, not to listen to that loss, but listen to God in the loss. Well, this is good preaching. I'm just saying I'm preaching the word. I'm not stroking myself. This is the word of God. Please understand. 
So many people let their loss talk to them. You're done, you're over, you're toast, it's over with for you, there's no future. You might as well hang it up. You might as well go move to some island because you're you're never gonna do another thing again because of this great loss. Don't listen to the loss. The voice of loss will lie to you. Listen to the Lord in the loss. God told David something totally opposite what he was looking at. He was looking at loss, heartbreak, and danger. But God gave him a life-changing word of direction. Pursue the enemy and you'll recover everything. And it changed his life. Now, I'm not going to tell you, as some do, I've heard it, that because David was told this is true for you, that you're going to recover everything like he did. I'm going to be honest with you. Some of the things you lose, you're never going to get back. You can't get back somebody who's gone to heaven. You may not ever get that same job back, that same friendship back, that same house back, that same dream back. I'm not telling you you're going to recover everything because that's not interpreting this scripture right. It's what God told David. But here's what I can tell you. Here's what I can tell you. God will bring new things to replace what you've lost. He will bring new horizons, new relationships, new ministries, new dreams, new fresh direction. He will do a new thing. He may not replace what you've lost, but you know what God does? A lot of times he gives you something better than what you lost. But you may, so you may not get it all back as you lost it. But the God who takes care of you and me, who said, call upon me and and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you have not yet known. Don't think about the former things. Don't consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will make a way in the wilderness, a road in the desert. I'll give you streams of water in your desert. I'll do a new thing. How often we fail in the time of great loss to look up and say, God, I'm inquiring of you. I'm inquiring of you. I'm closing with this thought. Jesus said, or it was said of Jesus by Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah said, you know what you're going to call him, the Messiah that's coming? You know what you're going to call him? He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, you know what a counselor does? They counsel. They give advice. And he's not going to just be a good counselor or a great counselor or a sufficient counselor, but he's going to be a wonderful counselor. That means he's always wanting to counsel us, give us a word, comfort us in our pain, speak something into our, into our heartache that, that picks us up and gives us a new direction and fresh hope because we do not sorrow as those who have no hope because we have a God in heaven who cares for us and watches over his children. So can we stand up together today? If you've suffered loss and you're struggling to stay afloat and you need fresh strength like you need your next breath, listen, there's hope in your loss by choosing a life-saving focus. Look up and choose a life-changing, a life-changing word of counsel from the counselor let Jesus speak to you I've been down so many times in life and 
you know, preachers get attacked. Now, I know you get attacked, but when you're on the front lines delivering the word of God, you get attacked in ways that most of the congregation never knows. You get attacked. And there have been times I looked up and said, well, is this it? And you know what? The Lord always said, here's what you do. Here's what you do. Here's what I want you to do. And he gives a word of direction. And where the loss would have taken me out, I go on because I inquired of the Lord. Can we just go to him now? Say, Lord Jesus, I choose to look up in my loss. And I choose to inquire of you. What should I do? Where do I turn? What decision do I make? Direct me, Lord. Call upon me, he says, and I'll answer you. We receive that, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Can we just lift our hands, give the Lord a wave off and say, Lord, thank you that you care about me in my pain. You care about me in my loss. Thank you that there's hope. Even in my loss, there is hope. There is hope because there is God. There's hope in my loss. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise today? Amen, amen. Amen. One of our missionaries, and and, uh, I'm just going to tell you this real quick before we dismiss. But one of our missionaries in Haiti, I could tell you so many stories, but one of them, uh, Jay Threadgill in Haiti, a couple years ago. If you've ever been there, Haiti, it is poverty like you've never seen, like you've never imagined. And they have a compound, their, their ministry. And they feed thousands of children every week. We support them every month. It's, it's where some of your tithe dollars go. Uh, we send them more money than we send any other missionary because of where he is and the help that he needs. And his son, somebody came in with a gun. And his son went to face them. And his son was shot and killed. He had been pouring everything into that son to take the ministry. And now his number one pupil and his hope for the ongoing ministry is shot and killed. And we look at that and we go, what in the world? How? But here is what Jay said. He prayed. He said, God spoke to me. I inquired of the Lord. He said, God spoke to me in my pain and my great loss, overwhelming loss, and said, go on. I'm with you. You're not going to fail. You're not going to lose the ministry. I'm going to take care of you. Don't give up. Don't faint. Don't back down. But get even madder at the devil. And and I was just with him uh, a couple of months ago. And he's moving on. And they're, they're feeding these children. They opened up their church for church after the COVID plague also hit Haiti, and and they were packed to the brim. So he went on, folks, in his loss. Amen. 
because God spoke to him. How many of you are glad you came to church today? Amen. Isn't that a good word?